0: Our sermon today comes from John 14, verses 12 through 17 and 25 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that that the Father Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, never mind, there it goes, sorry. (laughs) All right, Uh, well, good morning and welcome to Risen. Um, uh, We have been going through a sermon series here uh, for the past several months. Um, uh, It's titled Encounters with Jesus, all right? And it's been a series where we've looked at specific passages in the Gospels to see the kind of person Jesus is and what he's come to do. And today is actually our last sermon in this series. Uh, If you want to take a listen to to the rest of the series, you can listen to them on our website. But our last series here is on the Holy Spirit. It takes place at the end of John's Gospel. It takes place at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus is about to go to his death, but before that he has one last supper... With his disciples, and he's having this conversation with them. And he's saying, Look, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna be resurrected, but then I'm gonna go back to the Father because he sent me on this mission and I've accomplished it. But the disciples are afraid. They're saying, Where are you gonna go? You're leaving us alone. And Jesus tells them, Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna take a look at three things today. We're gonna take a look at who the Holy Spirit is, we're gonna take a look at what the Holy Spirit does. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So first, who the Holy Spirit is. First, the Holy Spirit is God according to Christian religion, according to the scriptures. And maybe you're thinking, and you're, you're here and you're thinking, wait, I thought, I thought Jesus was God. Or you're thinking, what about the Father? Isn't he also God? And in our passage, I, I'm sure you notice that Jesus references all three. He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's referencing himself, he's, represent, he's referencing the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'm going to the Father, he's, refer, he's referencing the, the Father. So he's referencing the Father, himself, and the Holy Spirit. And what we're treading upon here is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, Right, um, The word Trinity comes from the Latin word Trinitas, which just means three. And so throughout history, Christians have used this term, the Trinity, to describe the three distinct individuals that make up the one Christian God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three distinct individuals in the one single essence, the one single nature of God. Therefore, the Christians, uh, Christians refer this as to the triune God, try three, one, one, the three and one God. This is a logical challenge. There's nothing like this in the world. How can there be three and one? So some of us might stop here and say, why should I believe in something that doesn't make sense to me? Why should I, why should I do that? Um, and that's a good question. But friends, we believe in a lot of things we don't understand, don't we? Um, in, in philosophy, one of the core teachings is even though we can't fully explain the existence of something or the reality of something, it doesn't make it false or untrue. For example, our existence is still a mystery. There are theories and there are hypotheses, but we are still unsure about how humanity has come to be on a planet like Earth. We've never seen something come out of nothing, but here we are. It's true. It's real. You know, I used to private tutor, you know, when I was um, in seminary, um, and one of my kids hated math, and one time he just said, you know, I can't wait to be an adult because I won't have to do math anymore, you know, and uh, I looked, I said, what are you talking about? (laughs) I said, of course you'll have to do math, and he looked at me if I was, I was an alien. He couldn't not comprehend why he would have to do math as an adult. How do you explain adulthood to a 12 year old. In the same way, our understanding of God is as much of a seventh grader understands what adult life will be like. And philosophers and theologians have identified this principle in the Bible, and it's called the creator creature distinction. And it's the principle that, you know, um, we'll never get to understand fully and fully comprehend the mind of God as the creator of the universe. Just as a table cannot understand the carpenter, just as the muffin cannot understand a baker, we as God's creatures will never able to fully, fully exhaustively understand the mind of God. That's a fundamental difference. It's not quantitative as if we need to learn more, it's qualitative, it's fundamentally different. And so if you're open to the idea that this world was created by a supernatural God, then you have to be open to idea, you have to be open to this fundamental distinction, the creator creature distinction, this vast qualitative difference. But the Trinity is not just a logical challenge. Friends, it's also a personal challenge. What do I mean by this? Well, here's what I mean the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equally God but I think that we all struggle with personally submitting to the whole Trinity. For example, maybe you gravitate towards the Father. You resonate more with the character of authority and fatherly care and loving provision. You love that idea, but you don't like stepping out in faith and following Jesus. You have a difficult time forgiving others as Jesus has forgiven you. It's hard to follow Jesus' words, pick up your cross and follow me, even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Or maybe you do resonate with Jesus and this idea of unconditional love. You love this idea of forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion for the world. But when times get tough, you don't depend on the Holy Spirit. You don't go to prayer. It seems slow and hokey or... Unbelievable! You you want fixes and solutions. You want formulas. You want logic and a strategy and a plan. You get frustrated and impatient. You don't want to wait. You don't want to persevere. You cannot believe that the Holy Spirit, as as Lauren just read, is with you, is in your situation, is in you. You look You look elsewhere to cope. So, friends, you can see here that the Trinity is not just a logical challenge; it's a personal challenge. To embrace the triune God. Now let me just say something and then I'll I'll unpack it. Um, If the Trinity is a reality, this means, and, and if the Trinity is a reality from before time began, right, this means that love is the ultimate reality and the ultimate purpose in life. Let me unpack this. Right? The first time we see the triune God is, is in the book of Genesis. The Trinity was there before everything. Before creation, it was eternally preexistent. This means that the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity always was. This means that love was never an option. It was always there, fundamentally, in their divine DNA. It was part of the triune God's nature. Think about this. Just, let's just think about this, okay? The Trinity was always there. The relational love between the Trinity was always there before anything was ever there. Now, if, if we take a look at something like evolution, and I, I mean evolution not in its micro form, but I, I mean in its anti-God form. What I mean by that is if things are absolutely random and if we all got here because we're the strongest if might makes right, if that's our understanding of reality, then love is not an option. Power, control was there first. You see? God is in control. No one is in control, so we have to take control, control, power, security. Getting our own is our ultimate reality. But the, but the Trinity says that God was and is in control and he was controlled by by love. The Father was controlled by love for us to send His Son. The Son was controlled by love uh, to the Father to submit to His will. The Spirit was compelled by love to be there for everyone and and everywhere on behalf of the Son and the Father. This is who God was. This is who God is. It's a relational love. It's a serving love. It's a selfless love. It's a love with a mission. A love that's been there before the beginning of time. This is the reality of the Trinity. And as God's creation and children, this is our reality. This is our purpose. You know, the force of common thought is the more power, the more control you have, the more godlike you are. But the Bible is teaching us that this is completely untrue, it's the exact opposite. The Trinity is teaching us that the more love you have in your life, this selfless relational, missional love, the more love you give away, the more touching God, more touch, uh, more in touch with God you become. Isn't that shocking? Friends, the reality that this universe, that you were created out of the explosion of this relational love between the Trinity and God's purpose to get people into this circle of joy. And love is the most wonderful understanding of reality and the most meaningful purpose you and I can ever find. So who is the Holy Spirit? That's the first point, right? He's God. He's eternal. He's part of the Trinity. He's fundamentally love. And in this Trinity, we find our ultimate purpose, our ultimate reality, our ultimate significance. This brings us to the second Point, what does the Holy Spirit do? In verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples that the Father will send them another helper. In verse 26, Jesus says the helper is the Holy Spirit. And this word helper conveys this idea of a comforter and strengthener. But the Greek word for helper is parakletos, and this word actually means advocate, advocate, advocate. This isn't a word we really use these days, but in ancient times, when John was writing the gospel, it was used in legal settings. It means to defend someone. It means to mediate between two people. It means to champion for someone. And so the Holy Spirit, in its fullest sense, it doesn't just help you. It doesn't just provide assistance. As an advocate, the Holy Spirit Spirit delivers us from a hopeless situation. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's what... Advocate means deliverer. You see, this word uh, advocate gets across the idea, on the one hand, this person is yours. This person is working on your behalf tirelessly to defend you. This person uh, represents you, is defending you against your enemies. It's a fact. It's a reality. But on the other hand, the advocate is tied to your heart. This person is for you in the most fullest sense. It's not just legal, it's deeply personal. This person is loyal to the end. Your joy is his joy. Your pain is his pain. It is like adoption. The parent becomes the child's legal guardian. He or she stands in the position of the child, and the child takes the last name of the parent, and their job is to provide and protect and promote the child. This is a fact, this is a legal reality. But the parent doesn't just do these things because it's lawful. They do it because they want to. They do it because they're the child's advocate. It's deeply personal. And so the parakletos, the advocate, the Holy Spirit in its fullest sense has the ability to defend you and and champion you, but it also has the desire to do this. It, It wants to do this. You're not paying the Holy Spirit by the hour. The Holy Spirit wants to get into the weeds with you to incur your cost, to do everything in his possible means to defend you. But how, but how does he do this? In our passage, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Uh, he will teach us all things. Before this, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right, And then in, chapter, in verse 13, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will take his words and guide us in the truth. So the Holy Spirit is going to take Jesus, who is the truth, and teach us about Jesus, to guide us in Jesus. He wants to make Jesus alive to us. He, makes, he wants to make this, this Bible, these words, come alive to us. You know, if you go to a doctor, the doctor will explain to you how your heart and your lung works. They'll tell you how to take care of yourself, um, but doctors are human. Um, their time is limited. They can't be everywhere at once. Um, communication uh, can be difficult. They make mistakes. But in John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit dwells with you and will be in you. That's radical. You see, when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He comes into your soul as if Jesus has taken residence in your soul. The Holy Spirit is in you and he knows everything you're going through. The Holy Spirit takes the gospel of Jesus and he wants to renovate you. He's utterly committed to bringing the good work that Jesus has started in you to completion. Now we're going to sing a song today after the sermon. It's, it's, by, it's about the Trinity. And in the verse about the Holy Spirit, I don't have it up here. It says, Behold, I have a friend the Spirit breathing holy fire within, my ever-present house, speaking truth when I can't find it. And so friends, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He's, he's speaking truth when you can't find it. The verse continues, light up this broken heart and light my way. O Holy Spirit, breathe in me like kingdom come. And so like a light that guides us in the dark, the Holy Spirit lights up our heart with the word of God to understand and navigate our emotions, our desires and fears, our joys and sorrows, our thoughts and words, our actions and decisions in life, the Holy Spirit lights up the darkness in us. And the last thing the Holy Spirit does here in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27, this is what Paul says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, and he who searches hearts knows because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is with us and in us, is teaching us and guiding us, but he's also praying for you. Isn't that amazing? Paul says the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf and he knows your heart because, or, 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 The Father knows your heart because the Spirit is bringing your heart to Him. And He's praying on your behalf. This brings us to the last point, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. In 1 John 2, verse 1, uh, the same John who wrote the gospel of John is writing this letter to the churches. And this is what he writes. You know, at this time, people uh, people, um, say that John is old and, He's about to die, so he refers to these uh, churches as children. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate is the same Greek word used in our passage, parakletos. So what John is saying is that when we sin, we have a champion, a mediator, a defender, Jesus Christ who has paid the redemption for our sins through his death on the cross. In this world, everyone has a moral standard. We all believe in justice and truth. It's all over the news. We all like to say, hey, you know, um, it's different for everyone. But it's very clear that there are some fundamental beliefs that we all uphold to. We believe that there's a certain way to live, there's a certain way to treat people. But at the same time, there's not a single person on the face of the earth who can live up to the standards that we've decided to be right or wrong and the standards we apply to each other. There's no one who can live up to the standards that we hold dearly. Everyone, in the sense, has this feeling, that this this conviction that, that we fall desperately short Um, And we may try to hide this sometimes behind uh, our intellect. Or we may try to hide this behind our success. We may try to deny this this tension with entertainment and distractions. Or sometimes we just become cynical. Why stand up for anything? But we will find ourselves in life trying to stand up for causes and principles or, or justice. But when we do that, we'll find this tension. We'll find ourselves unable to uphold that same law of love, that same law of integrity. We'll find ourselves unable to have any reason to fight for anything because someone can point, always point out and say, wait a minute, who are you to judge? Right? Who are you to judge? You're terrible at this. And the Bible calls this, this sense of falling short sin and sin causes a lot of pain and suffering in our lives and to others but the Bible also talks about how our sin doesn't just hurt each other it also hurts God because God's created us for a specific purpose to love him and to love one another but first John right here it tells us that instead of judgment or condemnation or a fractured relationship Jesus Christ has paid the redemption for our sins through his death on the cross. In this way, Jesus becomes our advocate, our champion, our defender and deliverer. He's the first advocate. But verse 16 says that the Holy Spirit in our passage today is another advocate. right? So what Jesus is doing is he's defending you before the Father. right? I've, I've, I've forgiven him, I've paid for his sins. right? So the justice of God demands that you are justified that you are righteous that you are forgiven and the holy spirit while jesus is doing up the holy spirit is doing it in your heart because we still struggle with guilt we still struggle with hopelessness and despair and the holy spirit's like he's saying jesus has forgiven you and i'm here to renew you to transform you you know if you think that this is it, it does sound a little bit too abstract Sometimes it sounds a little bit too out of touch with reality. Sometimes it it doesn't seem to make any sense. But I want to encourage you just to sit back and take a moment, just take a moment to think about all your mistakes, about all your failures, about all your regrets and shameful moments, your brokenness, and, and know that God sees you and knows you to the very bottom. And yet he's saying, I've died for those things. You're forgiven, you're justified. You don't have to hide anything when it comes to me. You can, you you know, I I get it. You, You feel like you gotta hide it when it comes to other people. You don't have to hide it when it comes to God. He's saying, you're fully known, but you're fully loved. I'll never leave you. I'm your champion, your defender, your deliverer. I'm your advocate for your past, your present, and your future. It's finished, and the Holy Spirit is saying, believe in this, have faith in this, come to me, and not only will I forgive you, but I will begin to transform you. I'm just going to end with one application, right? We've talked about the Holy Spirit. What what, what, what What does the Holy Spirit do? He's God, and he's in you, and he is advocating essentially the work of Jesus to your heart. And the reason why this is important is because unless you have this kind of relationship with the triune god right unless you have this kind of relationship where you receive the forgiveness and kindness of Jesus unless you have this kind of relationship you'll never be able to overcome the sin and brokenness in you and your relationships you see not with yourself, not with your spouse, not with your family, not with your friends or coworkers, your neighbors, your stranger, strangers, your enemies. Unless you understand that Jesus has redeemed you and the Holy Spirit is with you and in you and He is advocating for you, you'll always be tick for tack. You'll always be. What have you done for me lately? You'll be judgmental and condemning. You'll become cynical and protective. It'll be about power, pride, and control. But today we see that there is an eternal and gracious and forgiving triune God who has the ability and the desire to resurrect us through the power of his word and his Holy Spirit. Friends, we need this. So come and get it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is probably a passage that maybe some of us have heard, and it's quite confusing because Jesus is referencing three people: the Father, the Son, Himself, and the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit into this room and into our hearts, and open our eyes to see the reality. Of, of what you say in your word but not only that that we would see the beauty <sighs> oh man it's so beautiful that there is a God who was eternally love before there was anything at all to know that that is our default nature but we've just gone so far away from that and and. And sometimes we, we try to cope as best as we can with our own brokenness. But Lord, we find ourselves not getting any better. So would you draw us back to you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, you are here and we don't give you enough face time or air time. So we ask that you would forgive us. That you would advocate that forgiveness in our hearts and you would let us know that rather than trying to find other things to to fulfill us to distract us to give us meaning and significance Holy Spirit would you advocate to us that our fulfillment and our meaning and significance is in the Trinity and the Father who's created us, the Son who has redeemed us and the Holy Spirit is in us. Would you blow our hearts wide open? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.